Yes. Happy Friday, everybody. I thought I'd go a little harder today. Huh? Introduction music. Anybody remember Il Nino? Or was that just me? No, no Il Nino? Is that a band? Tisk, tisk, tisk. No new metal aficionados among my ilk, among my peers within Trimark. That's horrible. It's not corn, like, what are we even doing here? It's not hip hop, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, you can't win, Danny. It doesn't matter. No. Disgusting. Disgusting. A lot of you. Where I, I, I don't know. I, what are we even doing here? I know rigaton what we're doing. represent. I'm sorry, it's not rigaton. I'm sorry, it's not whatever Brandon listens to. Hmm. Just acid jazz. That's all I got. Ooh, acid jazz is fun. I should I should all do right. that next time. Well, it's another week. God, it goes by so quickly. My name is Danny Akatsky. I am customer success manager here at Trimark Security at Takaki on Twitter. Uh, joined by my usual compatriots, uh, Sean Metcalf, founder, CTO, CEO, magic man extraordinaire of Trimark Security, Jake Heldreth, dot, 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 dot horse on Twitter. Brandon Colley at Tech Brandon, and of course, Bad Code. De- Dev, say your last name for Badlu. Bad, it is Badlu. Okay, I, I, yep. I, I was doing it it's right. It's actually a misspelling. So anyone who has the name Badlu is actually related to me. It's supposed to be Baldu, B-A-L-D-U, which is a common name. But then, Commercial True Customs, they messed it up. <laughs> you know what? That's what I'm convinced that happened with my name. So it's Akatsuki, A.K.A. CKI and and I can say this because I'm Polish some dumb Polak decided like you know it looks cooler it uh, looks cooler with a C I'm 100% Polish actually I said I'm 100% Polish for the past 38 years and then a few years ago I did one of those um, uh, 23andMe uh, DNA things apparently I'm part of the security problem because I am like Point zero zero two five Russian. Oh, I knew it. Which I, okay, I lost lost on. a lot of followers that day. We got to make some phone calls. Hold on, be right back. <laughs> no wonder I look amazing in Adidas tracksuits. I really do. Can you do that? Uh, that squat. That's that's really if you yes. Can do that squat. That's actually yeah. You know what? I can, especially these days because I because I do squat heavy. Oh, happy, happy Friday. Uh, and we have one more person joining us, one of our uh, a new guests, uh, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Accidental Sizzo. What's up, AC? I, I, I guess I would be the unusual guest, if everybody else are the usual guests. <laughs> well, We're all unusual in our own way, yeah, for sure, but... <laughs> well, I mean, you're unusual to begin with. First of all, you look nothing, and he's, he's remaining on his... Uh, anonymity because any guest that we have is allowed to take their uh, camera off uh we met at blue team con last year threw me for an absolute loop uh um, <laughs> right the dude's like Wait. six six foot seven like <laughs> are you doxing him six foot seven big bushy beard which i did not see coming uh mohawk brighter than mine like I, when i heard sizzo i'm like right, maybe you're a little bit more locked down so yeah, if you see somebody who looks like that, just go say hello. Peace. 
He's totally <laughs> lying. He he actually walked up to me though. He's like, huh, you actually do look like a CISO. <laughs> <laughs> Try to do you a favor here, man. Disinformation <laughs> campaigns. That's what we're that's what we're about here. Um, so yeah, we do this Trimark Happy Hour thing, and we always like when new friends come on. I mean, old friends, but new friends who have never been on here before. Uh, and so Jake came to me and was like, I got a good guest. And I said, I doubt it, but tell me who it is. And he said, he said, I was like, yeah, I'll never doubt you again this week. <laughs> and then, so that's why we are here. Um, Sizzo, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where, what, what do you, what do you do? Where do you come from? Why is everybody, uh, why do you have such a following? Yeah, I, I have no clue. <laughs> um, I, uh, I'm doing consulting these days, actually. Uh, but when I started this handle back in 2019, uh, I had accidentally become the CISO. And I was having a, a conversation with a friend of mine who was also in security uh, around a campfire uh, back then. And I made kind of an offhand comment about being an accidental CISO and like, you know, a few days later, I was, you know, looking at Twitter and thinking about starting to sign up with a Twitter account and that kind of stuff. And like that handle kind of stuck in my head. And it, uh, you know, so I think it was a week after that or so that I actually created the, the handle. It was just going to be a place to vent. Uh, <laughs> it's an anonymous place to vent. And uh, I ended up finding like a real community and realized after a while that like it was actually more me on that account than like I would be on like a named account. <laughs> uh, so it, 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 you know, alt became main is effectively. And, uh, but you know, I, I think part of the, maybe part of the following has, has just come with, I've always tried to, to take the high road and stay positive with all the noise and stuff on Twitter. Like everything I say, like it comes off as jokes, but like, everything I've said is true. <laughs> it just sounds like jokes and that kind of stuff and it resonates with people, but like I haven't I haven't gotten into any of the fray of, you know, tearing people down and that kind of stuff. Like I'm always trying to leave people better than I found them and and that sort of thing. And I think maybe that's the other other piece is just that I try to be genuine and try to help people. And honestly that's why I got into consulting after I left CISOing, uh was because this was how I could help people and you know, I, somebody was like, you know, what would you do even if you weren't being paid to do it? And my answer was, well, I would help people. And so this is kind of how I help more businesses than, you know, just one full-time employer by doing the consulting thing. So I'm, I just started year two of uh, consulting now full-time self-employed for myself. And it's, uh, it's going really well. This is shaping up to be a terrifying year. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I remember when you, when you first started and you first started going out there on on your own, which, by the way, it's super funny that you made an account to be a, like mostly anonymous and then you built a brand around it. Um, oops. Uh, yeah, I, I remember. And aren't you looking like you're you're growing pretty quick. Like, talk about for a second. Yeah. Talk about for a second, because when I was talking to Jake, I was like, what does AC want to talk about? And Jake's like, I don't know. I don't do any show research. Uh, so... He's like, well, he does a lot of work with consulting and small businesses, small businesses and thing, and we love talking yeah. about that. Um, I've talked to a lot of people. I mean, actually, you and Sean could talk right now together about how horrifying it is to go out on your own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like okay, um, because I, I, I actually want to hear Sean's story, and, and I want to hear your story. 
Yeah, Shonda, do you want to go first? I think. Um, sure. I mean, very quickly, absolutely. When you when you take that step, it's it's like you you put one foot out um, into the world of consulting, and you have one foot in hopefully a job that that pays at least part time, and then at some point you make that jump over. Um, because otherwise you you end up uh, like my dog on two rafts on a lake in over the summer where he was hadn't fully committed and those rafts started separating as his front paws and his rear paws got further apart and the look on his face when he realized he was plunging into the water. So at a certain point, you, <laughs> That's you a do great have to analogy. Make leap over from, okay, I have this thing that seems pretty stable to I'm going to try this other thing that I really want to do and, and hopefully people like it and appreciate it. And uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's about starting and getting three customers and um, mm -hmm. just getting, proving yourself, showing that you can do great work and, and getting those customers to really buy in those customers, then talk to others. You can build your network around that. And then at some point you realize it's too much for you to do. And then you start hiring people, which is another fun challenge. So over to you, AC. Yeah. I, uh, I, I kind of YOLO'd it in a way, you know, I, I put in my notice, uh, didn't really know exactly what I was going to do. Uh, and I had been talking with a friend of mine who had a consulting company uh, already. And uh, the week after I finished up at my gig, I was going to take the holidays, like six weeks of the holidays off and stuff. And he uh, he called me up and I think it was like Tuesday of Thanksgiving week. and was like, hey, I, I just sold an assessment. Uh, do you want to do you want to take that on? It starts starts in December. I figured, you know, doing something's better than doing nothing. So I jumped in and did that and was, you know, kind of do help help out, you know, part time or whatever. We had an arrangement, you know, an hourly rate or if he had fixed price uh, projects, I would get a certain percentage of the, the project. But like nothing was going to be guaranteed. By February, it had become a full time gig. Uh, and we ended up having to put me on kind of a interim salary uh, because I, we couldn't keep track of the, the billing side of it between hourly and fixed price products and that kind of or uh, projects well enough. And so we put me on a, a kind of an interim salary. So for most of the rest of that year, I basically kind of worked for him learning the ropes of consulting that I had never done and just doing a ton of delivery work, uh, which was was great. But by the end of the year, I was ready to go off now on my own. Because, uh, you know, it, it was obvious to me that this was his company, not mine. Uh, but also his goals for the company were different than my goals. I was looking for sustainability, whereas he was wanting to build for an acquisition. Uh, so those were kind of incompatible there. Uh, and so we had a, you know, a good conversation. It was it was nice that this was somebody that I could actually talk open and honestly with about this and uh, basically say, you know, I need to step away and, and do my own thing because... Uh, that's what's going to be right for me. And uh, so I, I, I went back to my original plan and ended up taking that holiday, the holidays off. Um, and then in January, you know, called up my lawyer and said, you know, hey, I want to register an LLC. Here's the, the name to use. Let's go ahead and trademark it since it's an original name. Launched then in February on social media, trying to start to get clients. And uh, like Sean was saying, like that piece of it, like going out and like, having nothing lined up and no income and that kind of stuff and just living off of savings and just trusting that it's going to work uh, was terrifying. But I started launched in February. In March, I signed my first client. In May, I signed a second. Uh, and between those two, uh, you know, I was 
able to, to cover, you know, make ends meet and that kind of stuff and signed a few more throughout the year. Uh, but as I'm starting now in year two, uh, I'm on the cusp of closing contracts in February that are more than all of my sales for last year combined, uh, which is pretty amazing. So like it's like I said, I'm not joking. It's terrifying. Shansa, you get to a point where, you know, you can't handle the work and I'm very quickly approaching a, a point where I'm going to have to think about how much can I do and, you know, do I need help and how do I want to structure that help and how do I want to build a bench of folks that I know and trust to bring in uh, on these jobs that uh, can help me out and all that while still staying small because I've consciously made a decision that I don't want to grow this company unnecessarily. I only want to grow if if I have to and it's strategic and it's not just for the sake of growth. And, uh, you know, so it's it's going to be an interesting ride this year because I'm going to have some some decisions to make. I, I know that feeling well, that that balance of organic growth and, and mm-hmm. trying to figure out, OK, when do you actually hire an employee versus bring on a subcontractor and how does that look? And then can you ensure the quality of what you're doing if, if the person is not yeah. an employee? Um, how do you ensure that that person sticks around and, and you know, has the same uh, alignment as you do with what your vision is for the company? Uh, one of the things I've seen on Twitter and other social media sites over the past number of years, and certainly this has been discussed for years, is uh, when is the best time to start a company and do something? And and oftentimes those best times are when there's economic issues, recession, mm-hmm. et cetera, because those that do well or can sustain in those moments, in those situations, will do well and do fine in an open market. It's kind of like when real estate is really high and, and houses are selling like crazy and like it lists, but it, as soon as it lists, it gets sold. Like anyone can be a realtor, right? Mm-hmm. But when mortgage mortgage rates are 6%, 7% and there's, there's a, a ton of inventory, um, that's when the real realtors get tested and have yeah. to actually market, promote, and do other things. It's the same thing with business. It's the same sort of strategy is if if you have figured out your niche, um, one of the best advice I ever got from from a mentor was pick a niche, drill down into that niche and mm-hmm. own that niche. Once you own that niche, then you can do you can expand and go into other things. But you really have to niche it down to something and own that and become the expert in that area and the recognized expert, because that will enable you to just kind of own that market or help shape that market, develop that. Um, the other thing that I learned was you don't want to typically create a new market because that's really hard. There's billion dollar companies that have trouble doing that. Um, one of the things that that I, I look at as a uh, a great story of that is the, the uh, Apple iPod. Um, there were already music players out at the time. They were very popular. Uh, Creative had one, the Zen and others. Um, Apple came in and redefined the market. They were like, we're going to do this better than others. Um, certainly when you look at InfoSec and a bunch of other stuff, there's a lot of people that do different things. A lot of pen testing and red teaming companies, a lot of companies that do consulting. It's about setting yourself apart and identifying where those areas are that you can provide value and ensure that you can lay out your case in such a way that is so compelling that assuming that they have budget, they're like, absolutely, we, we want to bring you on and do this. So um, leading to a question here, AC, what are the things that you think um, – have been key in your success growing this from something which seemed like a part-time thing that 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 someone kicked you to growing and, and increasing sales in a month to what you'd seen the year before. What do you think were some of the key factors there? The niching is huge. Like you are spot on with that. Um, 
there are so many companies that try to do everything. Um, you know, you ask them, can you do X? Of course we can do X. And then they go behind the scenes and, all right, guys, we got to figure out how to do X. Mm -hmm. uh, like that, that's not me. I, I have to go in and, and know what I'm doing and be prepared. And I'm not, I'm not comfortable uh, going in and, and promising folks that I do things that I can't do. So I've been very, very, very specific on my niche. Uh, I stay in the GRC space. So I do assessments, framework assessments. I do policy work. I do process documentation, process improvement work. And I do some advisory services with that as well to help help kind of follow after the recommendations from an assessment or something to get through the implementation, the strategy of what order should we do things in and 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 that sort of thing. And and that's it. Um, and what one of the benefits to me is like it's a niche that most people don't want to touch. You know, the who really likes I mean, other than me, the policy nerd. Who really likes doing policy work? Who likes doing process documentation? Like, what kind of crazy person am I? Uh, but I see you guys raising your hand. That's hilarious. Uh, but a lot of MSPs, uh, they've got clients, but they and they do a, some security stuff within what they offer, but they don't get into these specific areas, and they really don't want to get into these areas. So, uh, my real goal has been to work with other cyber firms who are also niched and don't cover the stuff that I do, um, or to work with managed IT managed service providers, again, who want to be able to add in some extra services, but don't want to build out a whole consulting practice for GRC stuff uh, within their org. And so that's really kind of what the way I've been going at, because then I have to do a whole lot less on the sales side, because then I just focus on partner building partner relationships and then those partners come to me and say hey we've got a client that's working on this is this something you can help us with and i can say yes or no at that point and we can we can have a conversation and and talk to them and i do some direct sales but i really prefer the to to not chase clients i i prefer when the partners come to me with they've already identified a problem they've already had some conversations with the client about you know hey we ought to be looking at this and they can tell the client hey we know somebody let's let's talk to him real quick and we can see where this goes it it wastes a lot less of everybody's time in the process so i think that's really been been it is focusing and staying niche down and then using that niche to help third party partners sell my stuff into their um their their existing client base where they already have a relationship they already have trust you hit on something earlier um, when when you were just uh, now speaking about, you know, you you don't want to do everything. I mean, certainly there's things that you're capable of doing, but really niche it down to GRC and the policy focus. Uh, I've seen a lot of companies that that go, all right, well, we're in the business of making money, so if a customer wants us to do something, we're going to figure out how to do it, right? And so they do that. And so the scattershot approach of, yeah, we'll do this, we'll do this, we'll do this. Before you know it, they've got ten different things they do. None of them are directly related and seem to be yeah. like a very tenuous thread of how they are even connected. Um, but it because they can make money on that. I, I mean, my approach has always been we focus on security assessments. We you know focus on Active Directory, Azure AD, VMware, the things that we know. Those are the things we do. And we get asked about other things. We're like, well, we we probably could do that, but should we really do that? Kind of the the uh, Ian Malcolm approach of just because you can doesn't necessarily mean you should. So therefore, 
but let's focus on our core strengths. And I think that when you focus on your strengths, your niche, as you said, AC, going down that path, you're able to build things that are complementary instead of those things that are just kind of, oh, well, this person asked me about it. I could probably figure it out and then I'll go ahead and do it. And then before you know it, that, that customer comes back and with another person that wants to do that too. And you're like, no, 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 I didn't really want to do that. Um, the, the other thing that I think is interesting with business is what I call the get out of bed price. So in the movie, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, because I'm a movie person, uh, Vince Vaughn plays a, a character who uh, he gets a, a message and he goes, oh, yeah, now I don't get out of bed for less than X, right? And so I think that's also important when you're starting a business is, yeah, you could do something, but really it, it has to come down to this is worth it for me to do that. Um, which I think aligns again with your niche. Like you enjoy GRC, you re- enjoy policy there. So therefore, if it's part of your niche, then you're more likely to do it where the scattershot approach, you just kind of pick up these other things. It, it just doesn't make sense. So I have two questions here. One, um, are there things that you feel like you could do that's complementary, but it's something that's further down the road that you would do? And my second question is along the lines of what Tanny was saying earlier. How do you pivot from someone reaching out to you on Twitter and going, hey, I want you to do GRC work for me. And you're like, oh, yeah, talk to this company over here that I heard is really good. Like, how does that work? Yeah. So, all right, my ADHD just got the best of me. So the first question went in one ear and then was completely replaced by the oh, second question. So go, ahead and ask the second, go ahead and answer the second question first. So the, the, the second question uh I effectively doxed myself when I released my podcast last year. Uh, so I keep up the anonymity thing uh, on Twitter and that kind of stuff more as a shtick because it's kind of fun. Uh, but at the end of the day, folks can follow the thread back at this point and figure out who I am pretty easily. Uh, so if somebody reaches out and needs uh needs me to work on something like I'll, you know, talk to him in DM or whatever. And I'll, I'll jump to my work email and like, we'll just go back and forth. Like I'm, I'm not protecting my identity at, at that point. Cause I, I realized that it's, and, and when that's when I launched the podcast, uh, I realized like I have sort of this persona, uh, that has some value to me and, and you know, some credibility in, the the industry and and the community and that kind of stuff and like there was there there was going to be no way for me to use that value in any way if I completely stayed anonymous uh, and so you know that the launching the podcast was kind of so my the mindful business security show hosted by accidental CISO is like as close as I could get to being community outreach still helping people the podcast really isn't a commercial venture. Um, I don't plan to ever have sponsorship and that kind of stuff other than the little tagline in the podcast itself where there's like a voiceover. It says, you know, Mindful Business Security Show brought to you by Fosivity, you know, the the name of my company. And so like that's as, as spammy as it gets. And the entire podcast is around helping people, community outreach and that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, what I'm hoping is that it will continue to get people to have conversations and, and reach out and it may spawn some more business uh, that comes up. But like the questions that I get, because I stay in such a niche, you know, I want to be able to refer people to other people that I know and trust. So if somebody needs a penetration test, I'm going to refer to somebody else. But in that process, like I'm going to have to expose my identity as well to that person, that partner uh, in the process 
as well. So behind the scenes, I, I really haven't been worrying about it as much. Yeah, I, I it's kind of like <laughs> you guys were talking about like when people asking you to like, hey, do you do this thing? Well, maybe no, maybe just do a one off. Reminds me of I've been in a lot of product companies and yeah. having having the salesperson just go, oh, yeah, we can do that. Oh, yeah, yeah we, we can do that. And then all of a sudden they're like, hey, can we add this feature for the next release? And the next release cycle is like in 30 days. And it were, it would require an entire re-engineering of the back end. But sure, let's, yeah, go ahead. Go go promise them that. So speaking from a development standpoint, I could tell you they love that. They love when you come in and say, hey, we just right. promised a client X, Y, and Z. And we're like, what? what? Huh? Yeah. So that, that reminds me, I, I have something that I talked to a client about yesterday that we need to add to our assessment. So, uh, yeah, if you could just add that over the weekend, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. I'll get right on time that. In, in software dev shops and like this is the perennial product management problem is like, what should we do versus what can we do? And, and that kind of stuff, whether it's a product service or a software product or a physical product like that, that's the, the whole crux of product management right there. But I mean, don't it come down to your brand? Like, I think a lot of companies don't really take the effort or time to define who they are in the industry or what they mm -hmm. what what they do. And then the brand gets going sideways when people just come in and say, "Hey, can you do this? Can you do that?" And it's just like, well, what is your brand? And then on top of it, like, what is the? How do you maintain a high level of um, standards and quality and all this other stuff if you're constantly just jumping? All over this place. Um, You're absolutely I, right, Deb. Like yeah. I ran into that with well, another company I worked at, and they did all this other stuff, and it's just like, well, that's great, but you just watered down your whole brand. So now that one thing you did okay at, that's what they know you as. Not this yeah. company that did this great, amazing thing where they specialize in. It's just okay because that's what they see the work quality coming out yeah. of you. And, and when so. you're in consulting, like doing what I am, like that. When you go in with a client, like making a mistake is one thing. Being unprepared is a totally different thing. Like being unprepared is unforgivable. Like, like it's just that's not okay. And that is exactly what happens when somebody sells something and you're like, well, I got to figure out how to do X and you're just making it up as you go. Uh, and, you know, that's that's exactly the situation you get into. Like that's that's not a mistake at that point. Like that's where you're you're unprepared. And whether it's a, a product that you're throwing a feature in that doesn't quite work right in software and is buggy or whatever, or whether you're a consultant that goes in and has no idea what you're doing and don't have the tools and things in place to do it, uh, you know, uh, it, it, the risk is just too high to me. Like, I, it, it impacts your brand. You know, people don't trust you at that point. And, you know, if, if they don't trust you, like, what kind of security consultant can I be if people don't trust me? So Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. There's a there's a big there's a big difference. So I accidentally run this show both on the Trimark Twitch and on my other Twitch, which we have some people in the chat in one place and another in the other because that's my brand. Uh, so uh, Dork Phoenix had asked because uh, she and my friend November are over in the other chat. Uh, had, had, she made a comment and um, hi Lena by the way. Um, asking for a feature isn't the same as promising to a client. Absolutely not. Ask for as many features as you want. Yeah. Are you going to get them? Some, maybe a couple. Uh, are, are you going to get every single thing that you ask for if it doesn't universally benefit the product across a wide client base? Absolutely not. It's going to be crazy to do that for one niche case, unless you're paying, you know, huge amounts of money. Uh, but 
what I when I stop trusting vendors, <laughs> when I stop taking them seriously, is when I would talk to the person who is neither responsible for creating that feature or getting it or testing it and still promising it to me. When they're like, oh yeah, absolutely, no problem, we can do that. And then now I understand, having been on the back line of it, when that person, when, when that salesperson goes back to customer success and then back to development and, and says, oh yeah, um, I totally told them we could do that. Well, what, that's not possible? And then I'll, then you have to go back up the chain, which ultimately ends with somebody in customer success or whoever that liaison is, and have to say like, oh, well, actually what they meant to say, I hate that game. What they meant to say was, and then you have to try to cover them because while you want to eviscerate that person for making huge promises that are never going to happen, you also can't just be like, yeah, that's that person was stupid and we don't like them. Um, do, you think they do, do you think they do that on purpose because they're salesmen or do you think that, that, that they allow the customer to convince them that it's not that big of an ask? They say, oh, you already do this. It's kind of similar. Dude, so, I don't know. I've, yeah. run in, I've so, most... I've run into ones that are mostly like, yeah, how, how they, they they make the determination in their little sales heads of like how how bad could this be? When have right. you ever learned met a salesperson actually listen to a customer? <laughs> like, so they say yes to anything, right? They'll just yeah. they, they do this the entire oh yeah yeah, and that yeah. gets confused for good customer service. Like yes. giving the customer, telling the customer, or giving the customer everything they want. Like that's not what good customer is. Customer service is. It's listening to the customer, understanding, but managing the customer's expectations yep. and that relationship. And like, that's where people falter because that's the hard piece of it. And they'd rather just say yes and then let somebody else tell them down the road, oh, well, you know, that's not actually going to happen. Yeah. Just like it doesn't make me, I don't do Sean any favors by just saying yes, boss, to literally every or like set or like agreeing with every single thing. There's been plenty of times. The one thing I love about, Try working particularly, and I learned very early, is that everybody chimes in to the benefit of the company saying, oh, just because so-and-so said this, well, let's actually dig into this and say, no, I don't think that's feasible. Like, I don't do Sean any favors if I would be a yes man for him, unless that's what you want, boss, say, and then, of course, uh, I could do that. <laughs> I was say, back in December, Sean asked me, hey, can you add these checks into, the, into our ADSA kind of quick? And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> It's going to take time. Needs research, needs, you know, development time. Like, nope, Sean, can't Sean has his face on like, well, why can't you do that? Yeah. Why can't you say <laughs> yes to everything? I didn't to, agree to this line of questioning. It comes down to doing things right, right? It's right. about, it's exactly. just like what AC was saying, because yeah. you, you have one chance with a customer. You have that trust. If you if you drop that, if you lose that trust, and the trust is really tough to get get back. Um once you have customers that that like you, appreciate you, love what you do, you've got to continue providing excellent work. And if you start going, oh, yeah, we could do this, we could do that, you don't deliver on those at the same level, then you have to make the decision. I mean, I, I can tell you that there was a, a service a review, a security review that we were doing for Windows 10, where we were looking at the configuration of Windows 10, um, and we put a lot of work into it, a lot of effort into it. Uh, but a few things changed over time. We saw more customers using a combination of Intune as well as group policy. And we couldn't entirely capture appropriately based on how we were doing things and what we wanted to do uh, for basically the price point that we were looking at for this service. 
we were not being effective and we ended up identifying this. Um, we, we, we delivered some successful reports, but we had an issue with one customer that had a really good handle on their Windows 10 configuration, but they were using this, this hybrid model of managing it. And after seeing what they were doing and talking to them, uh, we, I ended up making the decision to cancel that, that service. Did it make money? Yes, but it didn't make sense from what we were doing. And I think to Dev's point, a company needs to have a, a pure focus. So you need to focus on the thing that is what you do and kind of let other things go or determine if that makes sense to, to align that later on in, in business strategy. But ultimately, if you can't describe what your company does in 10 seconds, then you probably don't know what you do. And you've got to make sure you deliver. So Jake pushing back on me is exactly what I expect him to do and want him to do. Because if he says, yeah, we could add those checks, but it's not going to be what what it should be or what the customer is going to really want, then we shouldn't do that. We should delay it. We should make sure that we do it right. Because that that pursuit of excellence will show through everything you do as a, as a business. And your customers will appreciate your honesty as well. Um, that's the other thing that we try to do is we try to explain what we're doing, why we're doing it that way. And if the customer's like, oh, well, you know, can you help us rebuild our PKI? No, that's not what we do. Like, we can look at your Active Directory Certificate Services configuration, but like, we are not the PKI experts. You really want to go with another company because it's too important to get that right. Um, and sure, we could figure it out, but the risk of getting it wrong or getting something not configured correctly, especially with PKI, is a really big deal. And as as we're seeing with a lot of the Microsoft ADC CS stuff and that, that Jake has done talks about, uh, about the click click next default configuration um but yeah it, it, you're absolutely right ac it, it that trust is critical and that's that is the lifeblood of a consultant i mean that makes me wonder like um is it a problem with sales then that we see these issues where um you're not people are not training their sales team more about what the products they are the limitations as well as you know it's okay to say no to the customer yeah, I'm going to jump in there. I, I I think it's I think it's a people problem. I think it's a psychological effect that people have where they want to give people what they want. You know, the customer's already always right mentality. It's okay. The customer wants these things. Yes, we want to help you get there. What I do uh, when I talk to potential customers in our scoping calls is I try to redirect a little bit. Okay, you want this? Well, this is what we do. This is how we do it. This might align, but what you're saying exactly is not what we do. We do these other things. A lot of times I'll talk to customers are like, hey, we're looking for a pen test of our Azure AD environment. I'm like, well, we don't pen test. But what we do is this, this comprehensive security review of all the widgets, switches and dials and widgets of how security is configured in that environment to identify how to best protect you from attackers. If that's what you want. We can do that for you. But we cannot give you a pen test. So maybe that's why I never made it in sales. Because I'm okay with letting customers down uh, from that standpoint. That's like the answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> no, we don't do that. Move on. If you want to pen test a red team, talk to Red Siege, talk to Trusted Stack, talk to Black Hills. The only way that I've been able to to make it in sales is when I'm when I you know believe in the product that I'm selling, um, and that I truly believe that I'm helping the customer, like I'm helping them solve a, a problem or something in a valuable way. And if I don't feel like I can do that, like I would rather refer them to another partner or somebody else that I know, whether I get, you know, some sort of a, a spiff or a, a kickback or something on that is irrelevant uh, to me. You know, I want to, my, my first priority is making sure that, uh, you know, the client has the, the right solution, the right help to do what it is that they need to do. Uh, and so that's that's kind of how I got over the the sales 
hump for me because for a lot of my life, it was like, oh, I hate sales. I can't do sales. I don't want to do sales. Like, I don't, I don't want to be salesy. I don't want to be pushy and that kind of stuff. And I realized like, I don't have to do that. If I just focus on helping like and creating value, like that's, that's all I need to do. Uh, and, and the rest will work out on its own. And so far it's working. To me, that's sales. I mean, unfortunately, sales is a four-letter word. It's it's seen as a bad word, right? Um, no one wants to be seen as a salesperson. No one wants to seen, be seen as sales. I've done sales before, but my approach to sales is, what is your challenge? What is your problem? Here's what we do. If those align, great, when we can move forward and talk about that. Ultimately, that is selling, is is combining a problem or a challenge with something that someone, you know, some some need with a solution for that need. At the end of the day, that's what it is. And a lot of folks approach sales as, hey, I have this thing, you want it. I have this thing, you want it. I have this thing, you want it. Like it's some Jedi mind trick that you're just waving your hand and going, you want this, you you buy it, yes? Um, <laughs> and unfortunately, that's not usually not how it works i mean certainly if you're spending or or, or selling a blinky box or, or a tool you can go here you know this will work great because it has ml and, and ai and magic behind the scenes that makes everything work and it'll solve all your security issues just sign at the dotted line and send us a million dollars and you're good to go uh that doesn't work either so to me selling is basically aligning the customer needs with what the vendor or or, or company contract or whatever provides us a solution what their services are and when that aligns it's beautiful it's it's perfect because it's win-win and that's what it should should really be after is win-win and ac it sounds like that's your goal as well is getting that win-win because when you have that you can build that relationship and then yeah. you can continue that with others you yeah, want a customer yeah, for life it's it's not a zero-sum game uh you know it's not like there's a, a winner and a loser and people I, i've made the comment like i don't believe in competition in in at least in my space uh, where where I am, like there is focusing on small businesses. If you ask the SBA, there's something like 32 million small businesses in the U.S. alone, and like th those numbers are just astronomical. And then, but only like 600,000 of those are like more than 20 employees. Like the other 31.4 million or whatever are 20 people or less, um, and that's the the niche that I want to go after. Just like there are not enough security professionals to even help a fraction of them. Um, so I don't look at this as being any sort of a, a competition thing. This is basically one of these, like, we've got to cooperate on this to help make things better when it comes to security, because like it's going to continue getting worse. Uh, you know, over time, like I'm watching stuff go, you know, with chat GPT and AI and you know, deep fakes and, and all the other stuff. And somebody asked me, I can't remember, it was, it was probably two years ago or so on another podcast that I was on, you know, what I thought one of the biggest threats in the upcoming decade was going to be. And back then, you know, I, I said, you know, AI and, and deep fakes was, was going to be a real problem. And like, it's happening much sooner than I ever thought it was going to. Uh, but like, I don't know, there there's just, uh, security is not, going to just get better on its own and you know there's 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 too much to do and there's not enough security professionals to do it so like i said i don't i don't believe in competition like i'd rather refer people to people to refer have people refer to me if i got no capacity i have no trouble referring somebody else to another policy you know guru that i know that can do a good job for them just because like you know it's just the way so, i work and the way i do business 
So we actually got a question uh, from Investigator Check. What was his biggest surprise as he moved from working for someone else to his own um, organization? Um, uh, yeah, like what was surprising? Yeah, like um, like was there something? So I know. So like for me, whenever I endeavor to do anything, like any stupid idea that I have, not saying your idea was stupid. Yours was a great idea. My my ideas are always stupid. But when I I I project about how a thing, whether I like it or not, how a thing is going to be, right? And there are obviously stuff that goes way wrong or that I was way off base on. Was there anything that you had expected to happen that either didn't happen or like happened way bigger than you thought was going Uh, to like, or the growth has been happening faster than I expected. Um, you know, landing clients in that, that first year and like realizing like, wow, this is, this is going to be sustainable. Like within the first couple months, um, like that, that was pretty cool. And then continue to have, have more sales. And now like all of a sudden this year, having enough stuff in my sales pipeline that I'm, I'm kind of looking at my capacity and other stuff. And I actually told a, a, a partner yesterday, uh, that was calling me, asking me for some GRC work and telling like, I'm, I'm scheduled out in Q2 at this point, late Q2, uh, at this point, just based on the stuff that I've got now and the stuff that is imminent in my sales pipeline. So like, it's, it's, it's taking off way faster than I would have expected. Um, but I think one of the things that was surprising to me, and I've kind of joked about it on Twitter, like having to turn down my own budget requests for things, because like <laughs> there's things that I know that I want. And then I look at cash Denied. stuff and I have to be like, yeah, no, I, I know you want a new laptop, but okay, maybe in February, you know, so last October I was going to buy a new laptop or whenever, whenever it was the new Dell XPS 13s and stuff were coming out. And I, I wanted that XPS 13 plus. And I look at his pricing out and stuff, and I was just like, nope, maybe maybe in February. And now here it is February, and I'm back looking at it. And, you know, still not sure if I can approve my budget request for this this laptop, uh, you know, with, before, you know, a couple more sales or whatever close. So that I think that's been one thing that was kind of surprising is going back and having to, like, wear two hats and, like, tell myself no on things that I want and, like, you know, be the grown-up in my head. <laughs> I have much the same process for budget requests, but normally I only know it's declined when the credit card didn't go through. And I'm like, all right, I guess next quarter. <laughs> oh, I use my wife for that. She tells me like, hey, nope, we're not doing that right now. Yeah. So I could probably approve all this through my wife. For yeah. Sure. Or, or like, it, or it comes close to payday. And I'm like, maybe don't get the brisket for dinner. <laughs> you haven't had mac and cheese for a while, right? Why Why do you ask? No, don't, don't worry about it. Just uh, maybe do so- that. When you deny your own request, you go through the back and forth of justification of why you need yeah. it and the whole emotional thing, or is it just kind of like? like yeah, he has one. He has one instance of himself in Teams. He has another instance of himself in Slack, <laughs> and then he has a web interface where he submits to himself and then he fights with with himself over two. Now, isn't that what ChatGPT is? I mean, that's what that's for. Like, that's what oh, yeah. I use to accept or approve or deny requests for for expenses. Oh, wait, I gotta update that code. I don't have a process that's quite that formal, but yeah, if effectively I, I go through and I look and identify the need, but then I have to look at, you know, what's the justification for this and and all that stuff and look at the, you know, cash flow and everything else, just like any other CEO, CFO, whatever is going to have to do. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't like debt. Um, 
So that's one of the things that I've been very careful about with is not overextending myself uh, on this. Oh. And so I had some cash available when I started and I had some after tax savings and some some stock that, that I had and I opened a credit line so I didn't have to sell the stock and take the tax hit and that kind of stuff on it. So I had a credit line that was also then going to be my shock absorber in this. And I had to pull a little bit of money out of that over the course of last year. And so this year, I'm, you know, as I'm looking at cash flow, it's like, hey, how much can I pay back to this credit line? Because if things go sideways later this year, I, I don't want to have that at a point where there's not enough funds to cover what I need if for whatever reason, all of a sudden I, I go through this famine period and don't sell anything for whatever reason. So, uh, yeah, it's just basically looking at, at, at planning and cash flow and all that other all that other business stuff. And, you know, and I'm. I went to business school. So like, you know, my background is in IT, but my coursework for a business degree, like that all has been helping me with building and operating and running a business. And that's all been directly applicable here as well. So, you know, it's, it's not stuff that's all foreign to me, stuff I've kind of learned how to do already. So, yeah, so planning and, said, and managing cash flow is is one of the, probably the most underrated parts of of running a business, and one of the things that you, you don't really realize. And it, it's one of those things that that certainly scales, you know, from one person to many. Um, it's something that has to be constantly evaluated, analyzed, reviewed. Um, when you deliver, you invoice, when when you get paid on that, whether it's a net thirty, net sixty, net ninety, et cetera. Uh, forecasting that is is critical because, like you said, you could go ahead and do an expense uh, for a new system, new computer, new laptop, whatever. But if you're not calculating and and keeping track of what the 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 actual like standard monthly business expenses are, mm -hmm. plus these one-offs, and then tracking that over time to see, okay, when does cash flow run out? Because at some point for any business, cash flow will run out. Um, depending on expenses and, and revenue. Yeah. So it's just a matter of, of balancing those and lines of credit, other other sources of credit are are important for sort of the business and, and to maintain it through those situations because yep. people don't pay on time. It's the same thing with, with just about anything else. Companies, especially the larger ones, um, they have their process, they run through it and sometimes they forget about the smaller companies. So yeah, definitely that's an important thing and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. I've been very so, lucky. Most of my clients pay on time but like another piece of is like people look at like how do i generate recurring revenue and that's something else that i'm looking at too is you know instead of just you know i, I get paid for a specific project or paid for the hourly work that i do uh, i don't like owing people thing i don't like owing them work and i don't like owing them money um and so you know the, the idea of recurring revenue and selling something that now i've got to make good on over a long period of time uh, makes me nervous. And one of the common things people do for recurring revenue uh, also is like selling software and that kind of stuff as a partner to their customers. Uh, and I've kind of decided I'm not going to do that either because I don't want to be in the path where I invoice a client for a tool, you know, some email security tool or something. If I were to, you know, partner with somebody and sell that. I don't want to invoice them for it and then have to turn around and pay the vendor. Like, I don't want to get stuck in that cash stream. Um, I'll make an introduction, but it's been a conscious decision there to not insert myself. Again, from a cash flow standpoint, I don't want to be stuck where a customer doesn't pay me, but I still have to pay the vendor in the meantime. So we've, we've found some questions in the referral network. So basically referring stuff over, getting things referred back. So one question I have for both of you. Um, 
with the recent layoffs and everything that happened, what is some of what's some advice you would give to those bigger companies on you know knowing when to hire, knowing when to expand, so that you, they can avoid those big and massive layoffs that ups, that you know disrupts the whole industry. Hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a big question. Um, and honestly, I think like so much of that comes down to like the metrics of how executives compensation works and how growth and those types of things are rewarded maybe more than they should be or, or whatever. It's that, you know, tell me how you'll measure me and I'll tell you how I'll behave kind of thing. Um, so I, I, you know, we've, we've had a lot of layoffs, which is, has dumped a lot of people back under the market. What I'm hoping is that more of those people just like, me will decide, you know what, I'm going to do something on my own and kind of take control of my own destiny in this. Um, and I'm going to hope some of these companies start outsourcing some stuff to help create uh, more opportunities for those folks to be able to turn around and, you know, do their consulting or, or start their own companies and, and whatnot. But I don't really know the fix other than just, I, I feel like it kind of comes down to compensation models within business and how, investments and things are valued to, you know, investors and VCs and stuff too. So AC, we got just a couple minutes left in our hour. You're a very busy man. Uh, obviously that things growing way beyond what you thought that they would. Um, I have one final thing and then we'll get to the final thoughts for everybody else. What do you have a piece or a couple pieces of advice, even if it's just one to, is there something that you've noticed that is a hole in the way that security supports small business. Like obviously you're offering your services, you're, you're filling a need, obviously people want it uh, and need what you're doing, but maybe there's somebody sitting out there going, I really want to go into business for myself. I'd rather be, you know, doing a thing and offering a thing. Is there anything out there that you think that we, that the small business needs that we're just not helping them with? It's, it's tough with small business uh, because the dollar amounts are lower and every dollar a small business spends, like there's more attached to that for them. Uh, if that makes any sense, sure, like, yeah. $5,000 to a Google or, uh, you know, even, even a, you know, 10,000 plus, you know, person company or a 5,000 person company compared to a five person company, like that, that money, like they better get value for that. And I think that's really hard. And, be, and small companies are, you know, the, the, the dollar amounts tend to be lower anyway, they're smaller sales. So they're seen as unprofitable, I think, in a lot of the industry, because to make them profitable, you've got to be able to kind of standardize and 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 that kind of stuff to to be able to execute quickly and efficiently and and stuff to create value for them. Uh, so that's one of the things that I've I've really focused on. Uh, and then in those small businesses, though, like it's different than large businesses. Like you separation of duties and the you know the flexibility that they have, where everybody wears a lot of hats and does things. Like you got to get a lot more creative with that. So like they have a lot more stringent budget. Uh, constraints, but they have a whole lot more flex flexibility and there's a lot of creativity that has to happen in there. And you can't standardize the creativity necessarily, which makes it also hard, which I think is a big part of why a lot of companies want to shoot for that mid market and above because it's it's just it's easier. There's more money there. You have to have less sales you got to make 
and the sales are easier to to deliver on versus small business like everyone is a bespoke little challenge and it's a whole lot smaller dollar amount but if if you say stay small and keep your overhead low and and can strategically deal with that you know creativity and standardize where you can and be efficient in how you deliver you know there's there's plenty of money to be made at least that's what i'm seeing plenty of money to be made in small business it's just it's hard to scale so i, I think it's almost like you need this federated model where you've got lots of small businesses serving small businesses instead no. of large corporations trying to serve small businesses yeah which and and i've seen a lot of thankfully a lot of cooperation now like i see uh, you know uh, other people going on other people's podcasts and like a lot of more communication which is like mm -hmm. Our, like our small business communication between a trimark to a trusted sec to a binary to uh, Black Hills and things like that, I see that uh, I see that flowing a whole lot better than like any Intel sharing ever did. Um, and I think that can do nothing but help us. And I think people trying to shoot and be like, oh, we got to make these billions of dollars and things like that. Well, not only is like that's hard, but there's a whole section of people that need help. Um, that aren't being served. So that's awesome, man. Thank you. So we're going to let you go, but I want final comments from my people here. I'm going to start with Brandon. Perfect. Um, yeah, I've, I've, been, I've been sitting here like getting closer and closer to my mic for the last like 15 minutes because I just wanted to sing the praises of what he, the choices that was made of going after a small business and focusing your company on um really an underdeveloped area that is i would say harder to work with in security like you had said gets has less funding you're making less money it's you know one small company is going to be a ton different from another one based on across different verticals and so um it seems like you made this intelligent decision to to go after the place that not could get you the most money or is like the easiest niche. I mean, it's a hard thing to do, but it's a thing that has the biggest community benefit. So I just wanted to say like, great job, keep up the good work. Um, and it's been great to meet you and talk to you. Dev. Um, I go back to brand. Like if you're gonna start a small business or any type of business, make sure you know your brand and develop that first and foremost. Uh, because without that, then you're just like everyone else out there and there's no way to identify you from someone else. Um, but I think this was great talking. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Everyone it takes enjoyed. so long to build a brand and a split second to ruin it. Like yeah, ruining it takes no effort whatsoever. And that's it can... why you need those guardrails up like when oh. you're bowling. Oh my God. Make sure, Jake. Make sure you don't go off course. <laughs> I just want to say, uh, you know, I, I've been listening to your podcast you mentioned several times like work with somebody that's got a security stack that they know really well and so offline i want to talk to you about what that security stack is because uh yeah i've got some people that that i would want to put you in contact with so that's all and, and also you know uh what what whiskey is are you pouring into that uh your icon there that's very important oh so you might not see it Sizo, but i have your uh your uh twitter avatar up uh that is a bottle of bullet rye pouring into a little two ounce bodum glass cup you can't go wrong Crazy. with bullet bullets one of the f yeah. i love bullet bullet and four roses are like my go-to like not bottom shelf obviously but like they were i think they're a good starter for anybody um that's, that's what i was drinking during this show so <laughs> and every time we're playing chess together uh and finally 
our fearless leader, Mr. Sean Metcalf. Thanks, Danny. Uh, I really appreciate the the conversation, certainly around business. I love talking about business stuff. Um, you know, the psychology the psychology of business is is really what I try to focus on. Is you know how do you align what you do with what people would want? I, I what you said about competition really resonates certainly with me. Is, is that you know when you, when you if you niche it down and really focus on what you're doing and own that niche and be the best in that niche at that point there really isn't competition and if you're able to develop a service to the point where it has such exceptional value for your customers they come back for more because they love what you do at that point you're not even selling your product you're you're just saying here's what i do and then everyone's like yeah please let us have that because that's fantastic that's exactly what i need um, one of the one of my favorite uh, people to follow for financial and business reasons is Ramit Sethi, uh, at Ramit, R-A-M-I-T on Twitter. And his approach is always about the psychology of things, psychology of money, why budgets don't work, but also the psychology of business. Like, why do people buy what they buy? What, what it motivates them? And ultimately, it's about getting inside your customer's head from the perspective of, what would this customer want? What are their needs? What are the things that drive them? What keeps them up at, late at night? If you can figure out what those things are and provide a solution to that that is complete and compelling, then you will be wildly successful. And to your competition point, again, I did a thought experiment years ago where even if a company focused on the Fortune 500, let's say you can do work with 100 companies a year, like good size, good scale, right? It'll take you five years to work through the Fortune 500. But at that point, it's probably been circulated and cycled through by 20, 25% every couple of years of who's actually in the Fortune 500. And if it takes you five years to get through that and it cycles through every you know, couple of years and it goes changes by 20, 25%, by the time you get to the, that five-year point, you've worked through those, then you have another couple hundred c companies to work with. And that's not even talking about going back and working with the customers that you originally worked with. So at that point, there's plenty of money out there. There's plenty of customers out there. And I really love that approach, especially as a small business. I feel like small businesses should be working together as much as possible in order to collaborate, coordinate. And we, we certainly do with, with a number of other, other folks out there, as, as Danny mentioned, um, Red Siege, Trusted Sec, Binary Defense, um, Black Hills, and some others, uh, because we can, we can work together and we can do the things that the big companies just can't and deliver in ways that they can't. Um, be successful in the ways that they can't for our customers. All right, AC, thank you so much, man. If people want to keep up with you, and I, all right, I love your blog, by the way. I think there's a lot of cool stuff up there. Uh, if people want to keep, uh, keep up with you or interact with you, where do they do it? Yeah, uh, I am still active on Twitter, uh, but I'm also on Mastodon, uh, at Accidental CISO on Twitter and at Accidental CISO at Infosec.exchange on Mastodon. So folks can reach out to me there. I love talking to people and interacting with people and whatever. So I'm uh, always happy to, to chat too. If, if somebody needs to talk about something, hit me up. If I, if I don't follow you, I'll, I'll follow you so you can DM me or whatever. We can, we can talk about whatever you need to talk about. All right, brother. Thanks for joining us, man. We'll talk soon. Cool. Thanks, guys. And Appreciate for everybody it. else, uh, visit trademarksecurity.com for all of your Azure AD, Active Directory, virtualization, and uh, purple teaming needs. Especially check out our page for our uh, enterprise security posture, uh, your guard against ransomware. Uh, so visit us at trademarksecurity.com, at trademarksecurity on Twitter, and we'll see you all on Friday.